Welcome to the First Player Token Podcast, a short podcast for folks who enjoy playing board games with family and friends. I'm your host, Derek Bruff. In this episode, we try to save the planet from a relentless alien invasion in Under Falling Skies. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Aliens attacking major cities around the world, spaceships descending through the skies, a handsome pilot called upon to save the world. Yes, that's the 1996 movie Independence Day, starring Will Smith as that handsome pilot, and Bill Pullman as the American president who gives a very good speech and is also conveniently a pilot. But all that also describes Under Falling Skies, a 2020 board game designed by Tomas Ullier, published by Czech Games Edition, with art by... Peter Bohacek and Quanchai Moria. Under Falling Skies is a solo game about repelling an alien invasion that clearly takes some inspiration from Independence Day, but also from the classic arcade game Space Invaders, with those alien spaceships descending towards vulnerable cities one row at a time. Under Falling Skies came out in 2020 as a solo game, and it was a good year for solo games, given uh, gaming conditions around the world. Uh, this one got a lot of attention, and it was totally worth the hype. It is a fantastic game with beautiful components, decisions that are full of painful trade-offs, and a campaign mode that will keep you returning to the game again and again. To get a sense of this game, let's take a look at the game laid out for the intro scenario. There's a wide tile you'll see representing Roswell, New Mexico. You know, the town that aliens supposedly crashed into decades ago. Above Roswell on your table, uh, you'll have a series of four tiles, each as wide as the Roswell tile, each showing the sky slowly darkening into the edge of space. Each of these airspace tiles shows a grid of several rows and five columns. Those five columns are going to be key to this game. Above the topmost airspace tile is the alien mothership, looking ready to blow up the White House, as alien motherships are known to do. On the mothership are five alien attack ships, each represented by a magenta plastic token full of sharp angles and menace, and each situated in one of those five columns. Fun fact for the nerds out there, the look of the alien attack ships in Under Falling Skies was inspired by the Cylon Raiders in the Battlestar Galactica remake of the early 2000s. So, uh, things are not looking good with all those alien attack ships, but take heart because underneath the Roswell tile, there are two more tiles representing the underground bunker where the pilots and scientists and maybe a president are working hard to repel the aliens. The bunker also shows a grid of rows and five columns with most of the boxes in that grid showing a room of some kind where the work is getting done. There are research labs in green, energy generators in yellow, jet fighter hangars in orange, and anti-aircraft guns in gray. Then you have the dice. Oh, the dice in Under Falling Skies. There are five of them, all standard six-sided dice, and you'll roll them at the start of each turn. 
Then you'll make a series of agonizing decisions by placing each die in a different room in a different column in the bunker beneath your city. That's how you activate those rooms with higher number dice bringing stronger effects. So if you roll a bunch of fives and sixes, you'll research faster, generate more energy, and power up your jet fighters. Here's the catch and the real beauty of this game design. Whenever you place a die, the alien attack ship in the column up above the bunker will move that many spaces down toward Roswell. And if it reaches the city, it will strike and do a mess of damage. Too much damage, and you lose the city and the game. So those fives and sixes you roll will power your war effort, but they will also accelerate the alien victory. This is a game full of trade-offs. You can't place two dice in the same column, as I mentioned. So you might place a die into a jet fighter hangar to take out some of the descending attack ships, but that would mean maybe not being able to place a die in the research lab in the same column. That's a problem, since generating enough research is actually the only way to win this game. Two of your five dice are white, the other three are gray. Anytime you place one of your white dice in the bunker, you have to re-roll all of your unplaced dice. That might be a good thing. Maybe you need a low number to avoid an attacking ship hitting your city, but it could also be a bad thing if you don't roll the numbers you need to activate key rooms. The white dice give you, the player, a lot more agency in what could be a pretty random game, but they also come with risk. At the end of your turn, after you've placed your dice and activated the corresponding rooms to get stuff done, the alien mothership up above moves down one row closer to your city. If the mothership gets too close, well, yeah, you lose. But even before then, the mothership moving down will generally trigger something bad, like extra attacking ships or a loss of research or damage to your city. And as the mothership gets closer to your city, all the newly launched attack ships that will surely come throughout the course of the game are that much closer to doing their damage, making the game get increasingly challenging as the turns go by. Dear listeners, that's a lot of game already, but that's just the introductory scenario. Once you've saved Roswell, you can try again with a couple of different cities, New York and Washington, D.C., each of which has its own bunker set up, so a different configuration of those Uh, rooms that get all the stuff done, and each city comes with its own special rule of play. You can also increase the threat level of the game, since each of those four airspace tiles above your city can be flipped over to a harder version. Threat level 1, where you flip one tile over, is doable, I find, but threat level 2, where you flip two tiles, is very hard, (laughs) and I haven't even tried threat level 3. That sounds insane. Um, 4 would be just bonkers. Under Falling Skies is based on a print-and-play game of the same name by the same designer. What I've described so far is basically a refined and blinged-out version of the print-and-play. But there is a lot more in this box. When you open the game box, you'll get out the instructions and the components needed for these intro games. But underneath all that, you will find a whole stack of other components that are used in the game's campaign mode. And I really like the touch in the box that you, you can't like, you have to actually kind of open up some stuff in order to see the campaign mode uh, components. You can you can keep them a secret from yourself for as long as you want to, uh, opening each chapter of the campaign only when you, you get to that chapter. Um, there are four chapters in the campaign, uh, each of which adds some new characters, like that handsome American pilot, um, but new cities and new missions and new game mechanics. There is so much game in this box. I have logged 17 plays of Under Falling Skies, and just now got to the point of opening the fourth and final chapter in the campaign. 
You can actually play through the campaign twice and see completely different options each time. Uh, the core rules are very good, and the campaign just keeps adding interesting twists to them. This is, I believe, the first campaign game I've covered here on the podcast, and now this is the first spoiler warning of the podcast. I'm about to talk just a little bit about the campaign. I won't give everything away, but I did want to say a few things about it. If you want to say completely spoiler-free, fast forward by about 2 minutes and 15 seconds to skip the spoiler section of this episode. There is so much creativity in this campaign. Every time I open a new chapter, I couldn't wait to dig into the new mechanics and the missions to see what kind of spin they would put on the base game. I really liked the command rooms, a new type of room added in the second chapter. Any die placed here can have its value added to other placed dice. So if you put a 3 in the command room, you can use it to turn a 2 somewhere else into a 5. Or you could split that 3 across multiple dice, maybe adding 1 to each of 3 dice. This adds a lot to your decision space as you're playing, but it also gives you a lot more agency when tackling the harder missions of the later chapters. There are four new missions in each chapter, although you'll only play two of them during a given campaign. The ones I've seen add a lot of variety to the game, each posing new challenges. There's the Contamination mission, for instance, in the third chapter, where the first die you place in each round contaminates that room, making it unusable, at least without a penalty, for six rounds. That was a fun constraint to puzzle out. The one mission that consistently defeated me was Chapter 2's Repairing the Base, where your bunker starts one hit away from destruction. You can spend some of your higher numbered dice over time to repair that damage, but you start that mission in a bad way and I could never dig out of that hole. I have just recently opened up the fourth and final chapter. I won't even spoil that for you here, but oh gosh, it's different and it's interesting and it looks really hard. I hope I can pull it off. I first tried to play the campaign on threat level 2, but that was nothing but fail. I started over on threat level 1, and it's felt like the right level of difficulty for me. I usually win, but it's never a given, and it's usually pretty close. I did have to start thinking harder about my strategy, like using those locations that shift the attacking ships one column to the left or to the right. Once I realized I could clear a column of ships by, by doubling up in some other column, that let me use my 5s and 6s a lot more effectively. I've also had to get a lot better at using the robots that you can install that essentially kind of keep a room going even when you don't put one of your dice there. Um, I think key robot selection is important to doing well in this game, especially at the higher threat levels. And we're back from the spoilers on the Under Falling Skies campaign. I'll wrap up this episode with a few more spoiler-free thoughts about this excellent solo game. The box says the game plays in 20 to 40 minutes, and that's about right. It's usually closer to 40 minutes for me unless I'm playing one of those intro scenarios. The box also says the game is for ages 12 and up. I also think that's about right. The intro game is very accessible, but the kind of planning you need for the higher threat levels or in the campaign means navigating a pretty big decision space. The uh, 12-year-old in our house has asked to watch me play it once, and I bet he'll want to crack at it after seeing the game in action. There are uh, two negatives under Falling Skies, I should mention, neither of which has to do with the gameplay. It's, uh, it's more about the, <laughs> the um, size and weight of the game itself. Uh, one of them is that setting up the game means that you're laying out um, from the bottom two rows of bunker tiles, and then a city tile, and then four airspace tiles, and then the mothership tile. It's not a wide game, but it's a very long game, uh, so you need a fair amount of linear table space to play. It's not one for the airplane trade table. 
The other negative is that there's a lot of cardboard in the box. Um, the box itself isn't giant, but it's it's heavy with all the cardboard inside. Um, I like taking solo games along with me when I travel for work, but this is not one that I generally take unless I'm driving. You could, I guess, pre-select some components based on where you are in the campaign or what threat level you want and just bring those, but then it just makes it harder to play a second game afterwards. That's it for this episode of the First Player Token Podcast. See the show notes for photos of underfalling skies, as well as a link to buy a First Player Token coffee mug. Did you know I had one of those? And if you found this or any episode of the podcast useful, please share it with someone. That'd be great. Word of mouth is the best way to help the podcast grow. I've been your host, Derek Bruff. Thanks for listening. Now it's time to play some games. What do you call these? Dice. Dice. That's right. Can you roll a dice? Can you roll them? No, really. Yeah, very good. What are they called? What are these? Dice. Dice. That's right.